Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday night, July 10th, as we are streaming live at Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. On this episode, we catch up on all of the topics that will impact the Chicago White Sox as games resume on Friday, with the team going on a grueling 10-game road trip that starts in Oakland, then four games in Kansas City before they wrap up in Tampa. With a 42-44 and record after the All-Star break, you could see where the White Sox could still be two games below 500 after the stretch when they come home to face the Miami Marlins. But it's going to be a very tough 10 games for the White Sox coming up. We'll look at the new pitching staff arrangement that manager Rick Renteria has set up to start the games again. And the new face in the 25-man roster as A.J. Reed joins the team. And because of the All-Star break, the Major League Baseball Players Association President Tony Clark sat down with Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred to begin talks on a new CBA as the 2021 season is in jeopardy if serious changes are not made in the players' favor. There's a lot to cover, so let's get started with a look at how the White Sox All-Stars performed in Cleveland. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I'd say the All-Star game went well for the White Sox. By and large, yeah. Uh, Jose Abreu is still seeking his first hit. Uh, That's unfortunate, but James McCann made the most of it. Lucas Giolito looks scary. First batter, uh, walked 
batter on four pitches, which, which isn't great, but then found his groove, seemed to get over his jitters and pumped strikes the way that we saw him for most of the first half before the fifth inning against the Cubs. So, yeah, good show. I thought it was a good game. The American League won 4-3, to three, so you were right. I thought the National League would win, and you picked the American League, so you were right. The American League did win. Uh, really good pitching all around. Lots of strikeouts, and then the runs finally came later towards the game. Uh, Brad Hand, man, he got stretched out big time. I think I think I read online that that was the longest outing for Brad Hand yes. this season. Yeah, it looked like Alex Cora was not prepared for the way that uh, inning unfolded. <laughs> uh, and, you know, before that is the, the home run derby, which, you know, I called it Peter Alonso against Vlad Guerrero Jr., but 91 home runs from Vlad Guerrero Jr. <laughs> on Monday is yeah, incredible. That's, yeah, that's like when, when uh, you know, somebody's the scoring leader for, you know, like somebody goes nuts in the NHL or NBA playoffs or something like that, you know, averages 40 points a game and they lose in the uh, finals, you know, four to two. It seems like they still should get the MVP for Yeah, he should did. at least get $500,000. I mean, that was, that was incredibly entertaining. And that second round between... Vlad Jr. and Jock Peterson. I'm always going to remember that. 40 to 39? Yeah. Just insane. And it really made me wish that the White Sox were able to get that Jock Peterson deal done. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, makes me wish that Aloy Jimenez was involved. Maybe next year uh, for him. Because uh, I think that would be entertaining. Because uh, I think he fits right in with the... Just the huge bombs that were being hit. They were not cheap either. The home runs that Vlad Guerrero Jr. was crushing consistently, consistently going more than 420 feet uh, in just an incredible rhythm and just a display of strength. So that was a very cool moment to watch Vlad Jr. do his thing and Peter Alonso overcoming uh, the struggles from his pitcher. Uh, so even though he won... Word of advice for future participants, just go with the bullpen coach or the guy that tosses batting practice for the team. Uh, you can leave the family members at home because it's definitely mixed results. Yeah, did Todd Frazier, well, I guess Todd Frazier won with his brother, I think, but he was a pitcher before. So I think the whole Frazier family plays baseball, so that didn't really matter. Well, Alonzo's cousin also played college baseball, but couldn't throw the ball straight. He was throwing a lot of two-seamers. Uh, Bryce Harper's dad threw to him. Oh, yeah, that's right. But yeah. Alex Bregman's dad. <laughs> Poor Alex Bregman. Poor Alex Bregman. So next time, just go with the bullpen coach. Uh, better to be safe than sorry. But, yeah, I think the coolest moment for the White Sox is definitely Lucas Giolito punching out Cody Bellinger. Uh, I thought that was great, and it was nice to see that he went through that inning unscathed. Giolito, McCann, and Abreu are getting a new teammate, though, to start the post-All-Star break stretch. And that is A.J. Reed, the former top 15 prospect in baseball from the Houston Astros. Reed was great in 2016, but he may have peaked as he he has really regressed each season since that point in which Houston recently just gave up on him. So the White Sox are hoping that a new change in scenery will help. My concern, Jim, with adding Reed to the 25-man roster is that this could really limit the playing opportunities for Zach Collins. The team does have 17 straight games without a day off coming up, so I'm sure Collins will get some starts at catcher to give James McCann a break. 
but I thought the White Sox could use the rest of July to give Collins a long run in plate appearances at both catcher and DH, maybe even some starts at first base to get a better idea if he can truly handle Major League pitching at the moment. And I know that he hasn't been good, but it's only been 27 plate appearances, and that is a pretty small sample size. I'm not in favor of having Reed take away opportunities from Collins. But what are your thoughts about A.J. Reed's addition to the 25-man roster? Well, I think Castillo is probably coming back to get those starts at catcher, backing up James McCann. He's been uh, played a couple rehab games in a row. He caught the last one. So assuming that he gets a full weekend, I think he's probably the guy, you know, within at least a couple of days, maybe he's not there right away. But it seems like he'll be in the plans and Collins would be shifted to DH kind of in the Yonder Alonzo role. And based on what I saw so far, you know, I, I guess – I don't think it's all that impressive. And I think, you know, with, uh, I think Collins is one for 22 with 12 strikeouts and he and Daniel Polk are like two for 67 or something like that this season. It's uh, really just a mess between the two of them. I I can't remember like that kind of combined struggles from two guys playing the same position like that. So when you look at that and you look at, you know, not getting uh, plate appearances behind the, or not getting games behind the plates and, struggling there just uh it seems like charlotte's probably the better place for him uh, and this is really the last time i imagine you know with with reed you know if he isn't stick or he doesn't prove himself gavin sheets is coming up you have andrew vaughn behind him there's a very limited window for a first baseman to establish himself somehow some way and i think ideally with the white Sox, they would hope that collins is a regular-ish catcher you know backup catcher can rotate to dh and so forth and Reed somehow looks interesting enough to be the DH next year, or at least DH option next year, and then uh, you know gives him a left-handed bat option, whether it's you know a, a starting bat or a bench bat, gives him a lefty of some sort because the other lefties, Palka and Collins, are both struggling. Then uh, after that, I think they're just hoping that uh, this is the last year that they have where they can actually audition players like this. That every win will count and. Uh, it seems like they're just really trying to take advantage of this flexibility of not really having expectations for hopefully the last time. So if Wellington Castillo seems to be ready, he is having his rehab starts with Birmingham at the moment. I don't know if the plan is to have him go to Charlotte to continue his rehab and then maybe join the team either in Oakland, if that quickly, or in Kansas City, maybe even in Tampa the following weekend. Uh so you're thinking that Collins could be sent back to Charlotte within the next week? Seems like it. Because, uh, you know, he, Castillo's coming back with an oblique injury. That's more a uh, matter of just getting a little bit of timing back and making sure he doesn't re-aggravate it. It's not like he, he has a leg injury where he needs to run and test it and, and see if he can catch back-to-back games or anything like that. So I don't anticipate a lengthy rehab outing for him. Uh, you know, whether I think it's going to kind of annoy a lot of fans that Castillo's around, but he is the better catcher than Collins at this point. And the White Sox are still in the business of winning games, even if they are trying to audition guys at the same time. And Castillo gives them a better shot at doing so. So uh, I, I think Collins right now with uh, how his, uh, you know, the, the swing and missing he's doing and, and just the, I guess the, uh, he's, he's watching pitches off the corners. That's kind of his strength right now is that he doesn't swing at too many bad pitches. Just more of he swings through fastball, swings through stuff up in the zone. Uh, there are some spots in the zone he needs to cover, so maybe he goes back to Charlotte, understands a little bit of how pitchers are attacking him, sees if he can shore that up, and then uh, comes back for September and tries to position himself as the backup catcher for 2020. Okay, I can buy into that plan. 
I just, again, I'd rather see in this upcoming stretch of games that Zach Collins gets those opportunities than A.J. Reed. Yeah, no, I can see that. I, I think they're kind of a little bit the same player. They really uh, are. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and the knock on Reed, reading through some Astros blogs and trying to figure out where he went wrong and uh, where the expectations uh, lay for him, it, it seemed like it was just a matter of elite velocity. Uh, Major League velocity couldn't quite square it up and cover other pitches at the same time, so he's either cheating or behind and just did not have the bat speed to keep up with it. So if that's the case, that should be realized pretty quickly, and <laughs> and you know maybe you just want to give him like uh, three weeks or so, just of regular playing time, just to see what the Astros didn't have time to see. Um, and, and also in, with the Astros, they have... Uh, uh, Tyler White and uh, is it Jordan Alvarez? Yes. Uh, is the first baseman of the future. So it seems like, you know, they already have two guys who are better than him. So they just had no room for him on the 40 man roster. So there is a chance that their loss could be the White Sox gain, but it seems uh, that's just, it's probably there's a reason why the Astros cut him. And, but if they can keep him at least in the organization and maybe see if uh, an off season of work can do him good, maybe there's a chance. But yeah, I don't have high hopes for it. Yeah, it's never really encouraging when you're hearing that bat speed is the problem. Yeah, I guess the Astros did give up on J.D. Martinez, though, so there's that. I think they learned from their lesson. Yeah, giving I up think on so, JD too, Martinez. but maybe they're letting their guard down. Huh, well, we shall see. Every five years or so. Maybe. Uh, Reed does have an option left, so the White Sox do have control of Reed through the 2020 season. Uh, so maybe the White Sox can catch lightning in a bottle with Reed, but we thought they did last year with Daniel Polka. And obviously in 2019, that hasn't worked out at all. And speaking of Polka, Jim, is this the end? Was this his last chance making the team with the White Sox? Uh, it's never really the end as long as he's on the 40 man roster, because he could be called up for September as long as he's, not, he's on it. And uh, maybe, <laughs> uh, put a charge into the ball again and put a charge in the stands again. He's just not lifting the ball, especially in the, uh, in the air to the pole field. Sometimes he pops up pitches to the uh, you know, left side or in foul territory, but everything he's hitting with authority is on the ground and that's just no way for him to live. So yeah, it could be just the case of uh, league figured him out. It could be just uh, he lost a bit, uh, maybe with the preseason injury, lost rhythm, never could find it. And uh He'll probably have some soul searching ahead of him because right now I think it's pretty shocking just how he went from being the fan favorite and uh, and somebody who you think okay this is maybe the you know not JD Martinez but just uh, just somebody who you know like say with the Cardinals with Jose Martinez just oh here's somebody dusted off turned into a a credible average major league bat and it's and they thought mm-hmm. the same thing happened with Nicky Delmonico and that didn't happen either so right now any these these uh, you know, the, these revelations turn out to be flashes in the pan. And so I think that's the thing to guard against too with AJ Reed. If he has a good couple months, just uh, uh, having a backup plan for the following year. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a good point, Jim, because again, we thought that Daniel Polka could add 20, 25 home runs <laughs> this season before the 2019 season began, even conversation about, could he hit 30 home runs after what he did last year? And he's not even going to get 30 hits. Yeah, (laughs) 20 hits is a stretch right now. (laughs) Right. Uh, Obviously very disappointing for him. I got a chance to interview him when I went down to Charlotte. He thought that he fixed uh, one of the mechanics in his swing 
that he didn't notice that he was doing in Chicago. And he was hitting the ball well in Charlotte, but for whatever reason, the transition from Charlotte to Chicago uh, just never really clicked for Daniel Polka. So we'll see. He probably, uh, unless there is a major injury, uh, I don't think we're going to see Daniel Polka into September. Is that fair to say, Jim? Probably. Okay. All right. So AJ Reed, something interesting to watch. We'll see where Rick Renteria lines him up in the lineup if he does get those DH opportunities right away, or maybe uh, Renteria thinks that those opportunities are best for Zach Collins while he is still with the White Sox. Uh, If not, and Castillo joins soon, I just find that it's been a pretty odd usage for the White Sox with Zach Collins. When you say, Jim, uh, it seems like this is more of like an internship, like you are here to back up James McCann, learn you know the things that he does to prepare for games. Um, but if he's sent down any time this week, it just wasn't a a as big of an opportunity of playing time that I thought he was going to get. Yeah, I think it's weird with catchers, and we've seen it before in previous years where they've just yeah you know, whatever catcher is available and the readiest is the guy who gets called up like you know, last year with Alfredo Gonzalez and Dustin Garneau and just these uh, randos who just kind of come up because they need a catcher. And with the White Sox and Zach Collins being somebody who probably looks like he's deserving of a long shot either in September or August or depending on you know, whether they find a taker for Castillo at some point. Um, seems like you know, he's going to be the next catcher to get a very long look. And so if that's the case, it doesn't hurt to bring him up for you know a couple weeks just to see how pitchers pitch and how the uh, catchers uh, prepare for him and, and what they look at and, and the data and information and uh, give him a few games, understand uh, what he can do in Charlotte to prepare the same way. Um, it, but yeah, I think it's just more the catchers and the, uh, and the pitchers they ran up against just a string of lefties. He wasn't hitting lefties in Charlotte. You can't expect them hit lefties in Chicago, putting them in the lineup against lefties is putting them in a position to fail, which you never want to do for a rookie the first time. So it was just, I think, bad timing all around. And because catchers are scarce, you know, that just, that's just how it happened. Well, we'll get to the topic about major league baseball and the conversation they are currently having Uh, to work out a new CBA or kind of outline what a new CBA will look like after it expires in the 2021 season, as that is a very important conversation, not just for the league, but for all the teams involved. Uh, But it also deals with the Major League Baseball draft in a very interesting way. Uh, But let's preview the first series for the White Sox in the post-All-Star game break as they travel to Oakland. But first, a word from our sponsor, SeatGeek, with the baseball season picking up after the All-Star break, there's no better place to get your tickets than on SeatGeek. As SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. And there's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. And speaking of being there in person, SeatGeek surveyed baseball fans from all 30 teams from across the country on which stadiums had the best experience, from the food To the traffic, they ranked it all. And if you want to know where the White Sox rank or where other teams rank, you can check out the rankings at www.seekgeek.com slash stadium guides and find out what fans have to say, Uh, especially for those that are living in the Bay Area that lived uh, listen to the podcast. They're going to go check out the White Sox at the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, If you want to hear what fans have to say about the Oakland Coliseum, you can go to seekgeek.com slash stadium hyphen guides. And... 
If you haven't used SeatGeek before, uh, whether the, your team ranks high or low in the survey, uh, you can definitely save some money from SeatGeek and using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $10 off your first purchase. So all you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $10 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And yes, the Chicago White Sox are heading to the Oakland Coliseum. The Oakland Athletics are 50 and 41. They are second place in the American League West. They are one and a half games back of the wild card. And in their last 10 games prior to the All Star break, Jim, the A's went seven and three. So they're playing some really good baseball at the moment. For the White Sox after the All Star break, we did get confirmation on the starting rotation. On Friday night, this game's at 9.07 p.m. Central Time. It will be Yvonne Nova getting the ball. So technically on the regular season, uh, Nova's getting back-to-back starts as he started the last game prior to the All-Star break. Saturday's an afternoon game. It's going to start at 3.07 p.m. Central Time. Uh, that is to be announced for the starter. We're going to get to that topic in a moment here. And on Sunday, which is a 3.07 p.m. Central Time start, It's Ronaldo Lopez for the White Sox getting the ball, which means that Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease will get the starts to to kick off the four-game series at Kansas City with Nova getting the ball on Wednesday before the two be announced on Thursday. And I find it interesting to see Giolito and Cease back-to-back. That will definitely add some more entertainment value for White Sox fans. But Jim, I figured the TBA would have been Ross Deadweiler. But Dylan Covey seems close to returning to the team from his rehab stints. And I asked on Twitter who would fans rather see taking that starting spot. And 67% went with Dylan Covey. Who do you think should be the fifth starting pitcher for the White Sox coming out of the All-Star break? And opener. Does that count? Kinda. I think an opener with Covey. Backing him up. So it doesn't matter who the opener is? I mean, it could be like Juan Mania or anyone, right? Uh, generally, you want the opposite-handed hitter uh, pitcher. So Osich, depending on what the lineup looks like for Oakland, uh, I think they're pretty ready-heavy, but uh, either Fry or Osich. I think I'd go with Fry. Okay, so you start the game with Fry. He lasts an inning, and then you hope that Covey takes the second through fifth, sixth innings, and then go back to the bullpen again. Yep. Okay. Do you think the White Sox are ready to embrace that? Not quite. However, you know, looking at Covey's uh, rehab starts, he did throw four innings each time. He did, uh, you know, didn't really tax himself either one. I think he topped out at 67 pitches in his second start, and his first start was super efficient. Uh, I think he threw four perfect innings and six strikeouts or something like that was really, really good. And then his second start was just more of an ordinary four innings, but still very effective. But I think I'm I'm just checking his game logs now to make sure I got the pitch count right. So I'm not completely misrepresenting it. Uh, Yeah. 52 pitches is uh, first outing of four innings. Second one was 74. So they haven't pushed them uh, either one. And I'm kind of hoping that means that they're not going to push him when he comes to uh, Chicago. And if he's having a good four innings, they don't try to get a great, five or six out of them. And, and the way to do that is by having them pitch, start the second inning and facing uh, the back half of the heart of the order. I think that's what I'd like to see uh, for the White Sox. And I, I doubt it's going to happen, but they are leaving open the possibility and I will bask in that. <laughs> well, I hope it does come to fruition, Jim, but I am still doubtful that they'll do that. 
so between Kovey and Deadweiler to start a game, would you still side with Kovey? Yeah, I think they're basically the same. I think Detweiler's last start was more indicative of what he faces, just more contact. Um, not really a ground baller. Uh, I think Covey's a bit better at giving them a better foring. I think both of them are equally uh, capable or incapable, however you want to look at, it, at giving them six. So I think if you're hoping for a good four, I think Covey's a better bet for that. Okay. So with the starting rotation, you good with how Renteria has set it up? It looks like it's going to be uh, Nova and then maybe Bullpen Day or the, I guess the opener uh, with some type of combination with Dylan Covey, Ronaldo Lopez, and then Lucas Gilito and Dylan Cease. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if they're trying to win every game and, and really go gung-ho for the wild card and not really you know, worry about uh, tomorrow or next year so much, maybe you'd want Giolito higher up, but I think... Given how hard Giolito has worked and, and how good he's been and that he pitched in the All-Star game, I'm glad that they left him for the second series. And same thing with Cease, his first six-month season um, and, and managing his innings in a way that doesn't completely throw him off his rhythm or skip starts entirely. Um, it, it seems like a good way to go about it. Nova doesn't really matter. Lopez, I think, uh, you know, he got the All-Star break off, get some extra days off, so he should be ready. And I think he's somebody who probably deserves, or not deserves, but should get as many starts as possible just to see if he can work his way through his issues and learn something away, you know, have some takeaways going into the offseason the way that Giolito had some takeaways. And Giolito's takeaway is mainly like, I never want to be this terrible again. And maybe uh, Lopez will have some kind of epiphany along the same lines. Well, I'm excited with Cease starting on Tuesday because it means that his third start is going to be on Sunday at the Sox Machine Roadwatch meetup. Nice. So be very fun to watch Dylan Cease's third start against the Tampa Bay Rays at Alter Brewery. And can't wait to see everyone there for the meetup. It'll be very exciting. And hopefully Dylan Cease uh, does a terrific job. That's a tough test. That'll be his first tough test. His first two tests are the Detroit Tigers and Kansas City Royals. And uh, it's still the major leagues. Uh, so it's still tough. But uh, he's starting... I don't know how you want to grade the Royals offense or the Tigers offense, but it'll definitely be a big step up in his third start against the Tampa Bay Rays, who are in the thick of the wild card race. Uh, anything in particular that you are keeping an eye on for this series against the Oakland Athletics, Jim? Uh, not really. I mean, coming out of the All-Star break, uh, I think you you would hope that Eloy Jimenez keeps his power stroke up and you hope that you know, Abreu comes back and continues his drive towards you know 30 and 100 and and uh, gets his average up because lord knows he's he wants to be part of the plan next year um it's really endearing just how much he wants to be in the white Sox next year and uh, i would really want it to be where everybody wants him to be in the white Sox as well so I'm, I'm hoping for a big second half from him and a great start to the second half for him uh otherwise you know when it comes to oakland i like watching them it's gonna be fun to uh relive my warm fuzzy memories of being in the Coliseum and uh yeah it's it's uh and it's nice that Oakland's on a weekend too because that doesn't means uh no uh, 10 o'clock start times in, in the middle of the week yeah those are brutal <laughs> more brutal for you because you yeah. live on the east coast but even in Chicago those are some brutal brutal start times when it's uh Monday through Wednesday or Monday through Thursday if it's a four-game series uh so I am appreciative that it is that this series is over the weekend. 
Uh, so that's the White Sox A series. We'll be recapping that on Monday's Sox Machine podcast. Uh, hopefully, we're talking about a White Sox series win. Before we wrap up on Sox Machine Life, uh, I think that this is an important conversation to have because it's going to be one that will definitely cloud the 2020 season, especially the second half of the 2020 season heading to the 2021 season. And obviously we're a podcast about the Chicago White Sox. We root for the Chicago White Sox and it would just be absolutely terrible that while this team is turning the corner and it seems that they're reaching their peak with the roster, that there's some type of work stoppage. And to prevent that, uh, Evan Drelick of The Athletic wrote about the meetings between Tony Clark, the Major League Baseball Players Association president, and Rob Manfred, obviously the commissioner of Major League Baseball. But the tone of that meeting was pessimistic and disdain from both sides of the table. And Clark, over the All-Star break during his press conference, made his intentions known that the Players Association wants more competitive teams and improvements to free agency. Clark even said that eliminating the Major League Baseball draft is on the table from the Players Association perspective, as he believes the draft is anti-labor. We still have a year and a half with the current CBA, but from what you have gathered, Jim, do you agree that it's pessimistic that both sides can find labor peace prior to the CBA expiring in 2021? I'm I'm on the pessimistic side. I wouldn't uh, take anything away from, I, I guess, the early stages of a midterm CBA discussion, just because I think when it comes to this kind of negotiations, um, the, the two sides start apart from very you know, far away and eventually work towards common ground and everything like that. So to, to, uh, to address, try to address this in the middle of, uh, uh, of the term when you have very bad vibes coming from, especially the player side, I can see it, you know, the, the negotiation taking even longer time and being a bit of a sh- bigger struggle. Uh, I do, you know, when it comes to Clark, I do agree that, you know, looking at the draft is kind of a, a cool idea just because the reward for finishing in last is just, I think, throwing things off. When you have teams as bad as the Orioles and the Tigers have been and and the White Sox trying to be in last place and coming up well short, you know, it just seems like that's really bizarre um, and that you should reward the teams that are trying to, you know, that are almost there and, and trying their uh, damnedest to get there. You know, it, it seems bizarre to have like you know the the uh teams that have given up being the ones that get most handsomely rewarded in the draft and so that i i think that's a good way to go about it i, I it seems like with the come when it comes to tony clark and, and the players it seems like they really should give up the idea of free agency being this promised land uh the way that it used to be and i think that they need to probably turn their attention more to getting players paid in their first six years you know raising the minimum salary mm-hmm. either having a very aggressive arbitration period or an earlier one or having free agency happen sooner but i think they really need to address what happens in like the first four to five years of a player's salary versus free agency because i think uh, no matter what happens uh especially when it comes to players like who are nearing 30 not even like over 30 but even nearing 30 if they can be replaced by a 25-year-old, I think teams will do that. And it seems like uh, you really have to figure out uh, how to get the players compensated before like, they turn uh, 28. Yeah, the service time definitely needs to be on the table, right? I mean, there's even articles and columns after the home run derby. Uh, I forgot who wrote it. I believe it was for the New York Post about... Are Mets fans happy with Peter Alonzo in the first oh, half? Oh, that was Joel th- Sherman. Yeah, the New York Post. Joel Sherman. Okay. 
that are Mets fans happy that he's hit 30 home runs and he won the home run derby and he's been great this year because they're going to lose a year of control. Uh, like that stuff needs to go away. Like especially in New York City. I mean, that's also a specifically a Mets problem. They're New York City. They shouldn't have to worry about keeping their first baseman five years from now. Right. I agree with you. But that whole sentiment and yeah. the thinking behind it, it's just not GMs. There are a lot of people in media that also buy into the idea that seven is greater than six and you should hold these guys back until you accumulate enough time that you gain that extra year. And We'll see with Luis Roberts. Yeah, well, no kidding. We talked about that on Monday, right? Yep. Uh, the White Sox, Rick Hahn specifically, may have no excuses, unlike he did with Aloy Jimenez. Uh, if Robert plays as well as we think that he will in AAA. So, yeah, that's definitely something that we'll be monitoring. Obviously, with the Major League Baseball draft, this is an area that I cover a great deal for the site as far as following the prospects and such. And if you set it up, Similar to the international signing period, let's say all 30 teams get $10 million, Jim. I think that could prevent teams from really bottoming out in the rebuild process, right? Prevent teams going full Baltimore, let's call it, uh, where they're not even trying to win 50 games, right? Because they really want the number one pick in the upcoming draft. If everyone has the same amount of money to that's allocated to them to sign amateur players, both from the college ranks or high school ranks. I think that would be really intriguing on what and how it would shake out. Because if you want Adley Rushman, okay, maybe Rushman gets $8 million again, but now you only have $2 million left, right? And you still got all these minor league teams that you got to feed with all these players, right? So that, that's why I, I find that to be intriguing, that the premium talent may get a little bit more money. But I wonder on how teams specifically would attack uh, as far as signing amateur players, especially like the White Sox. Would they have gotten Andrew Vaughn? Maybe not. Maybe they go in a different strategy where they're signing eight or nine guys to million-dollar deals, which that would usually be like second-round talent. So they get eight, nine guys that would be second-round talent and then fill it out with with college seniors. Yeah, and part of me wonders if it would turn into like the international market where, you know, all these teams no longer have like the the edge in money or the edge in uh, scouting so much. So they need to form connections and with trainers Mm -hmm. and programs. So I wonder if like, all of a sudden, if a team wants to sign the next Adley Rutschman, do they need to have connections with him when he's in the fourth grade or something? Uh, yeah, that's obviously like a slippery slope reductio ad absurdum type point. But I just wonder, you know, based on what we've seen with the international market and the concerns there, just when the playing field is that level and how early you have to commit to guys, I wonder if there's going to be a similar type thing where, um, you know, because there, there are similar forces. Uh, when you have when you can't offer somebody more money and you can't accept a penalty and set out a couple of years to uh, really just uh, you know go nuts on one or two players, uh, what do you do? Like, or how do you get right. an edge? And so I think that could raise a similar problem. Or uh, you know, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's just a new way of doing things. But it would be kind of fascinating to see whether uh, you know these these deals have to be struck earlier and earlier. Well. I just got a press release from Team USA about who is making their 12 and under national team, Jim. So Hmm. you mentioned fourth graders. I can tell you that Major League Baseball teams are already keeping tabs on fifth and sixth graders. Yeah, it's a little gross. 
It's the nature of the sport. I mean, it's the same thing with basketball. Yep. It's the same thing with football. It's the same thing with hockey. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, for you dads and moms that are listening to this show and you have a son or daughter that wants to be a baseball or softball player and they're coming up to that ages 11 and 12, yeah, it starts getting really serious. Far more serious when we play Little League in which you're going to have to spend thousands of dollars to do all these showcases and hope that they make these national teams and these national showcases uh, so they start getting attention. And it's just not obviously for Major League Baseball teams, but also college programs as well. So I, I was a bit taken away. I knew there was a 14 and under team. I did not know there was a 12 and under Team USA team. I did not either. You informed me. Yeah. So on top of the Little League World Series, you have Team USA for 12 and under. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're going on with baseball. We'll, but we'll see as far as what happens here. I don't know if the Major League Baseball draft would go away in 2021, but I, I think Tony Clark has made his intentions known. And, again, this is what we're going to be leading up to is that the Players Association, you know, they just – they want better improvements to free agency, but I'm with you, Jim. I think that if he's trying to make sure that like the Adam Joneses of the world still get paid, I think that is the wrong direction. I think he should be focusing on how do I get like the Peter Alonzos and the Vlad Guerrero Juniors to become free agents earlier than what is currently happening in Major League Baseball. Yeah, or get them to $10 million salaries earlier somehow. Yeah, raise the minimum wage or raise the minimum salary. Make it a million dollars your first year instead of what is it? 500,000, 512? Yeah, like 550. Okay. So a $450,000 bump in pay for guys that join the major league roster. I think that is a start. And maybe you can enter arbitration earlier. Maybe it's just 2 years of control and then you get into arbitration. But how are teams going to react to that? And it just seems like in this early meeting from what we are hearing is that the league has no interest in budging from its standing right now because obviously the CBA benefits them the most. And what will the Players Association do if they do not see the league budge and try to make improvements to either allowing players to become free agents earlier or put in new processes to have more teams actually compete and trying to win? Will there be a work stoppage? It sounds like from the players that do not want to be named uh, that they are fully aligned and they would be prepared to have a work stoppage in 2021 just when we think the White Sox are going to be hitting high gear, Jim, and uh, competing for the American League Central and maybe even being a dark horse contender for the World Series. Good times. Good times. Remember 1994, folks? Yeah, it was funny. I was... Looking through the 1994 stuff, because I think it's going to be the topic of my next uh, all Patreon all-star break post, a uh, question about, you know, the, how the labor situation looks and yeah, Reinsdorf is really out there in 94 and I'm hoping he's mellowed. I'm not confident he has. I think he's just quieter now and doesn't talk to the media nearly as much, but he was really uh, on the war path. That's funny because Bud Selig just had a book release with Phil Rogers Seeing that Jerry Reinsdorf wasn't really that involved, Jim. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he also <laughs> said he knew nothing about uh, steroids before <laughs> 2003 or something like that. So, Yeah, yeah. I'm not buying that book. 
God, no. Do you think we should have, should we, should we have Phil Rogers come on the show to talk about the book that I'm not going to read? Nah. Yeah. We're going to pass on that. Sorry, Phil. Uh, but yeah, so that will be, that's how we're going to end this Sox Machine Live. So thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, again, we'll be back on Monday with the Sox Machine podcast recapping uh, as far as the Oakland Athletic Series for the White Sox, previewing the Kansas City Royals. And we're also going to have a special guest on Monday show, Jim, right? I'm hoping, but I will keep that under wraps for now. All right. So for those that support us on Patreon, when we do make that announcement as far as the guest, uh, if you would like to ask questions to the guest or any of our future guests or even get additional P.O. Sox questions, you can help support the site and show by going to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. And you also get additional content from Jim as well, uh, from additional writings and columns and posts. Uh, so if you like our work and you want more from us, again, go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. But again, like I mentioned, that's the end of this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.